Hey, I am so excited to be with you guys. Those who are watching us online, at home, sitting on couches, on phones, on tablets, wherever you are, those who are gathering with us in person. To everybody, we say welcome. I'm so excited. We are one church, believers in God, running on mission, scattered in a lot of different locations. But man, it's with that, I can't wait to jump into the topic today. So I'll pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father, we give you this time. I'm asking you'd come and you do what only you could do, and that's change lives. Uh, God, I'm also asking specific, even the topic, would you just help us all to slow down? Even the busyness of sitting on the couches, and perhaps it's the kids running or the roommates making breakfast, or even as we sit there, we're now thinking through, what am I going to eat for lunch, or what are all the things that I need to do today? Would you please help us to move slower. Those who are here, would you help us to focus and reflect on you? God, for those who know you, would you grow a love of you in us? For Father, those who are wrestling with you or don't know you or don't like you or have baggage with you, would you change hearts? Would you soften that? We thank you that that's exactly what you want to do. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, as I shared, so excited to be with you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is John Almquist. I serve as pastor here at the Springs. If you've been watching with us online for the past few weeks, here's what you know. We've been working our way through the book of 2 Timothy. But after we finished chapter 1, we took this pause to start this mini-series in the middle of 2 Timothy that we are calling Lessons Learning. Lessons Learning learning. What I imagine you might be able to guess is lessons learning. It's a play on lessons learned. But here's the reason we changed it. It's specifically to speak to in the midst of COVID-19, coronavirus, pandemic, everything going on. What are some of the lessons that we're learning? Right? What are some of the things that God is trying to teach you, trying to teach me? And almost as we reflect on it, what are some of the takeaways so far? But we call it learning because this is not over. We are still in. We are still striving to find the right ways to love our neighbor, care for one another, protect community, look at reopening economy. We all know if you turn on the news, COVID-19 is not over. But in the midst of that, what are we learning? The other reason we're calling it lessons learning is simply because these are things that in my life, in particular, the topic we're going to talk about today, we still have tremendous ways to grow, tremendous opportunities to become more faithful. So when we say lessons learning, I'm speaking to you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I think it applies to you like if you don't believe or if you're wrestling with faith, but in particular, It's of God's people. That's why last week we kicked it off by talking about lessons learning, and we talked about the role of the church, the big word, ecclesiology, the role of the local church in your life and in mine. How it's meant to have this major impact that through COVID-19, if you have not stopped and reflected on the truth, the people of God never closed. The church kept moving forward and never stopped. Methods change, mission doesn't. That, that you didn't realize that belonging to a community that wants to care for you, it matters. So last week we talked about church, and this week we're going to talk about something that in my life, guys, even this topic this past week, I think this has hands down been one of the most convicting things in my life. And I, I those of you who know me well, I'm, I'm convicted fairly often, probably too much, Right? 
And man, this one got me. It's the topic of busyness. Busyness. Rush. Haste. Urgency. I started by talking about this because here's why I really started to reflect. Many of us, I'm not saying all of us, but many of us with COVID-19, we slowed down. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't go to the sports teams. You, You couldn't even continue planning your wedding because they wouldn't let you officiate it at a physical gathering. You couldn't go out to eat. You couldn't do all the social events. We were forced to slow down. Now, some frontline workers, you've perhaps been working overtime, going nonstop. So I'm not saying it perfectly applies to all, but I am saying to many, and in particular, to me. As things slowed down, there was this realization in me of, man, I was just moving too fast. Because here's the thing, even the definition of busyness, and this definition, so you know, I'm taking this idea from a book. I haven't finished it. I've learned a lot about it through podcasts, and I'm halfway through part of it. But it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, right? So that's where I'm taking this idea from. He says busyness, he defines it as not when you do a lot of things. Busyness is not having a full schedule. But he said busyness is when you have too much to do. He describes margin. I really like the language he uses, and he probably stole it from somebody else, right? But it's this idea of margin is, is your load. Everything that you have to accomplish, or maybe better set this way, everything you have to do, your load. And then with your load, we all have, those at home, those here, everyone, we all have then our limit. It's how much you can actually handle, how much you can actually take on, and things you got to consider, the gap between the two, that's the margin. But what happens in that gap? Your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, your mental health. But we all, what do we do? We live in a culture where, man, we do everything we can. I've done everything I can. How do I close that gap? To where our load matches our limit, if not for many of us, like if you're really honest, it surpasses it. This can be true if you're a student in high school, if you're a student in middle school, you're trying to make a team, you're on sports, you just applied to college, and you're getting set, and you go to school, and you're going to study, you just come out, you got your first job, you just had your second child, so everything's exhausting, you're trying to advance yourself in a corporate job, whatever you have going on. We have this tendency, in particular as an American culture, to just do too much. I read an article, it was in the Harvard Business Review. It talked about how even in corporate settings, how they, how they were able to track the response of, hey, how are you doing? And people responding with, I'm doing well, just really busy. It was like this intrinsic status symbol where people viewed it as ambitious, driven. It's like this badge of honor. Yet what's true of America right now? Regardless, and I'm not saying it's all connected to this, but there's at least some type of correlation. Dude, we all exist with this sense of being okay with, chronically tired, yet it's normal. Like irritability, we're more insecure, we're more physically sick, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I came across some things that really helped me even even think about this in my own life. When it comes to the sense of busyness and distraction and how it robs from good things, 
Do you know the average person in America touches their iPhone 2,156 times a day? Think about that the next time you get your little usage update, right? Do you know that the average person, right? And here's why they connect it. They say they go, 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 go. We've never also been more of a do more, be productive, life hack, get it all done. We've also never been more of a culture that just vegges out. Because you go and you're spent, you come home and you've got no emotional energy to get on the floor, to crawl, to play with your kids, to invest in your spouse, to talk with your roommates, to go even hang out with friends. You know, the average person watches five hours of television a day. The average millennial puts on top of that five hours on their phone. It's wild. We're exhausted. That's where if you come and you think about it, Many of us are missing this sense of peace. That's why this talk, guys, legitimately self-preaching. I have to change. And here's what I think. We have to change. Right? Because before we jump into the passage, here's what I think is on the line. We are meant to be marked, and this is if you're a Christian, you are meant to be marked by love, joy, and peace. You cannot love well if you are busy and in a hurry. People will feel used, not loved. You cannot be marked by joy. In order to be marked by joy, and and everyone says this, even secular like mindfulness experts would say, an aspect of joy is being present in the moment. If you're busy, you're constantly thinking about, even while you're here, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? It's why my wife at times has said to me, John, you're not with us. And I look at her and say, what are you talking about? I'm right here. And she says, no, 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 you're physically with us but your mind, you're somewhere else. Your emotions, you're somewhere else. Joy, and then what comes at the expense of all that? Peace. Because if you're constantly trying to do more, what does that do to contentment? What does that do to gratitude? We have a busyness problem. And so that's why today, guys, as we continue the series Lessons Learning, I specifically want to talk about busyness, but in this way. Busyness often cripples faithfulness. Like if you're a Christian, you're called to be faithful, to love God, to pursue him, to get to know him, to tell the world about him in whatever way. You are called to be faithful in busyness often. I almost wanted to say always, but I can think of seasons and good reasons. I can think of them. Busyness often cripples, cuts the leg outs from, invalidates, diminishes, marginalizes faithfulness. I'm so excited. We're going to be in Luke 10. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42, and we're going to see a story that for some of y'all, it's perhaps familiar, but I can't wait to see it through this lens. We're going to look at two sisters, their relationship, and then the interaction they have with Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter, the king of kings, and how they interact with him. And in that, we're going to see how busyness often cripples faithfulness. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me, or we'll have it up here on the screen. Those at home, if you grab that, grab a Bible, grab a phone, pull this out, read along with us. I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. To to set up the context, Jesus, he's working his way in the book of Luke towards the cross, right? But as he's doing that, he's traveling around. He will have just left Jerusalem, and he's going to a city called Bethany. It's in Bethany he's going to meet Martha and Mary, 
Now, if you know your Bible well or later on, Martha and Mary are the sisters of Lazarus. If you don't know about Lazarus, he's got this great like comeback story, right? But this is the first interaction where they're really getting to know Jesus. And there's this faith that's already present, but we don't know the full thing. So that's your context right here, 38 through 42, and then we're going to jump back up and work our way through. Now, as they went on their way, that's the disciples, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Okay, now the conflict's going to enter. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. Your Bible may say the good part. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Guys, as we look at this interaction between two sisters, and we all know sisters, brothers, we can all get in conflict, right? This was true of everybody at every time, not just your family. You see this glimpse into how busyness steals faithfulness, or at least the opportunity for it. That's why we're going to talk about busyness often cripples faithfulness. But let's work our way through the passage. Verse 38. Now they'd went on their way, and they'd entered the village. That's the city of Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. It matters her name Martha, right? Her name in Aramaic means mistress, which would have meant female head of the household. It's speaking to this idea of she's very likely the older sister. Anybody here the oldest sibling? I'm not. If you're at home, you're the oldest sibling. Here's what's generally true. You're super responsible. You get things done. You kind of help parent younger kids. And you have this tendency to almost be like a uh, rule follower, police officer type thing to where if a younger sibling does something wrong, you are a gifted, no disrespect, tattletale. Shout out to my older sister, Anne. I love you, right? You come and you're going to make sure, no, no, that's not what you did for me when I did that. You got to keep the rules or, hey, mom, hey, dad, do you not know that they're doing this or they're doing that? Which is wonderful. We're so glad you're here too, right? Well, that's Martha. But then you're going to come and we're going to see the other sister, Mary. Verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So if you remember from a passage when we read through it, we're going to see how Martha is distracted. She's distracted. But what's true of Mary that we just read? Mary is devoted. So you see these two different paths, these two different choices of how to use the time. And Mary chooses the path of devotion. She comes and she sits at the feet of Jesus. This is amazing for a lot of reasons. This is amazing because to sit at the feet of Jesus, it meant there's this interest. It meant that she was going to make the space, the time, to focus. She had a heart to listen to, to learn from, and to fall more in love with Jesus. It's an amazing thought because even here to sit at the feet, this is language that Jews in particular would have connected with because disciples of rabbis, that was their position. A rabbi would teach and his disciples would come and they would sit at his feet to listen, to learn. 
And here you have this moment where Mary comes to do this. It would have been this beautiful thing. Why? Women were not allowed to be discipled, and yet Jesus says, come, I will train you. I will love you. I will raise you up. I will send you. And what does he do? He makes, he makes space. Mary, even in the midst of a culture that wouldn't have against it, Mary is devoted. Why, why does the matter of the culture? One, yes, Jesus has always been more feminist than you will ever be, and rightly so. But right here, she went countercultural to choose devotion. Do you know what is countercultural right now? Moving slow. You know what's countercultural in America? Saying no. So you can say yes. Mary is devoted. But what happens about Martha? Let's look at this. Martha. Verse 40. I love this. But Martha was distracted. This word distracted, it literally means uh, to be pulled away, to be dragged away. It's this connotation of I should be here, yet something is dragging me and pulling me elsewhere, and I'm allowing it. She is distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Okay, a few things to talk about here. What is she distracted with? She's distracted with doing good things. Do you know that Christians are commanded to be hospitable? Your Bible, it may say, making preparations instead of serving. But we'll talk about it. She's letting a good thing get in the way of a great thing. And then what happens in this busyness None of us are ever at our best. Some of my biggest uh, regrets, sins, and moments where I look back and I wish I could take it back, what I said, how I responded, my tone, my energy, my attitude with friends, uh, community group members, wife, kids, anybody. It's been when I felt that sense of just busyness and haste and we got to keep going and we got to do more. We're never at our best when we feel that way. Martha was not at her best. She starts by accusing the creator of the universe. Dude, that's strong. That's strong, right? Lord, do you not care about my sister has left me to serve alone? Literally, she goes after Jesus' motives. You say you're loving, you say you're kind, you must not care. Guys, when we are distracted, when we are busy, and you live that way, all of a sudden, it gets really hard to believe the best. Do you know major signs that you are likely too busy if you are emotionally unhealthy? Are you, are you more sensitive than what you wish? I can be. Are you more irritable? you have a short temper? Do you have a short fuse? Do you find it hard to believe the best? She starts accusing him. And then I love where she goes, tell her then to help me. She demands Jesus do something. Do y'all get that? That's going up to the creator. She called him Lord. It's going up to the creator and saying, do this for me. Few thoughts. This is what we're talking about. But do you see the beauty of how approachable Jesus was? Like she felt comfortable enough to go and do that to him. Like, that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But like, are you approachable that way? She comes, she accuses. She comes, she demands. And what's it fueling, this sense of entitlement? There's this thought to busyness 
right? We all know how misery loves company. The busy love company. She's saying, no, 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 you send her to help me. I shouldn't have to do this alone. In reality, what is Jesus going to do as, as we read through it? He's going to say, no, no, you go with her. Martha is distracted. And then what does Jesus do? Let's look at the final verses. And then we're going to talk about some, some diagnostics in our own life for busyness. He keeps going. Uh, 41. This is his answer. So Mary's devoted. Martha's distracted. Best thing I got is Jesus is loving. Right? Right here. Verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Her, repeating her name, it meant to almost zoom in on the emotion of the moment. And Jesus saying, no, I sincerely, I care here. I care about you. That, that's the feeling. And then he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. I love that. She comes, she accuses, she demands, and what does Jesus do? He, greatest pastor, Messiah, Savior of the world, greatest leader, greatest teacher, greatest counselor, he goes straight past that and he looks at the heart. And he says, Hey, Martha, you're anxious and you're troubled by a lot of things. And then he shifts. But one thing is necessary. We all know this word necessary. It means here, there's one thing that you need, Martha. There's one thing you need. And he's drawing a contrast back to, you need to come. You need to sit at my feet and listen. Because what is that? What's the posture? You come to listen to. You come to learn from. You come to fall in love with. What she wants is relief from the anxiety. And he says, I'll help you with that. I love you. I'll take care of you. It's this kind invite to join her sister. And then Jesus even says, Mary, talking about her sister, Mary has chosen the good portion. It's like Jesus doubles down, which will not be taken from her. He doubles down on the truth of, hey, between Martha's response of distraction and Mary's response of devotion, one of them was right. It was Mary, and it's invite to come and sit. It's this invite to say, hey, I know there's good things to do. I know there's things, there's a checklist. I get it, you're type A, got it, got it, got it. Set it aside. Come, spend time. John Ortberg, he's this um, prolific pastor. He's out in California. He's done a lot of writing, right? He has this quote this past week that I think really helps summarize a lot of this, not just for the Mary and Martha story, but, but for my life, for your life. He has this quote that when talking about busyness and hurry, he says, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. This is speaking to Christians. The great danger of busyness is not that Christians will renounce their faith. It is that we will become so distracted, rushed, preoccupied, that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. How many of us here, honestly, you know the love of Christ. He's transformed you. But in your soul, like just between you and God, you don't have to tell anybody. There's a truth to, you've settled for a mediocre love with him. John says right after that, talking about life, he says, we will just skim our lives 
instead of actually living them. It's easy for me because I'm reading it. I can see the word. He says skim. Skim like how you can skim a book. Like anyone ever give you a good book, but then you look at the good book and you're like, man, I don't even have time to read this, right? But you know you're supposed to, so there's one chapter in particular, but what do you do, man? You just skim that thing. Like for me, I'm already thinking, okay, what's the chapter title? Because that's going to drive it. And then first sentence, last sentence. Or maybe some of you, you're like, I hate reading, I don't read. But you have not listened to a podcast on normal speed in like four years. I literally listened to a podcast about hurry and haste at like one and a half times speed. And halfway through, I was like, I have serious problems. Like, I've got to get help here, right? As the whole thing's like, slow down. It's like, how do you go faster? How do you go faster? How do I shorten it? But guys, do you see how this busyness, this haste, and again, having things to do is not wrong, but it's when you have too much to do. That, that's personal to every individual, to every family, to every rhythm of life. It varies. I think America, the American church, my life, the Springs, followers of Jesus Christ across New Braunfels, I genuinely think busyness is a pandemic. Wait, no, forgive me, pandemic's global. Epidemic, national. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. And we are so rushed and so busy. And what are we neglecting? Choosing the good portion, the one thing that's necessary. So what I want to do with you guys for the rest of our time is I want to walk through four different kind of diagnostic questions, if you will. I want to walk through four different things kind of out of this passage that as I stopped and I reflected and I thought, it's, hey, if you're wrestling with this, you probably have a serious issue with busyness. Like if this is something that you, you kind of trip over in your life, you probably have a serious issue with busyness. So you have a problem with busyness if, first one, you don't realize good things often get in the way of great things. Good things often get in the way of great things. Let, let me show you this from the passage. Do you remember Martha? She's serving. She's showing hospitality. She's likely tending to a house. She has this desire to be a good host. If Jesus came into my house, I would automatically start thinking, man, did I vacuum, right? She's feeling that. That's not all wrong. The desire for every kid in your family to play a sport, that's not all wrong. It might be all right. But are the good things getting in way of the great thing. I thought about this Monday night. It'd been, a, like a lot of folks, a long day, and you're doing stuff, and you come, and you, you put the kids down, and you're sitting there, and you're resting, and literally, I got to the dinner table. It's about eight o'clock. It's just going to get the chance to eat. It'd been a full day, and I mean that because I was just emotionally drained. Why? I'd ran with this haste, and this busyness, and this sense of nervous energy through it. It's eight o'clock. I hear a knock at my door, it wasn't a loud knock, but it's 8 o'clock. It's a knock at the door, and immediately I'm thinking, oh, no, right? I know it's not someone coming to see me. It's too late. I go to it, I open it up, and there's someone selling pest control, right? One of the things that I love doing is anytime someone knocks on my door, I immediately feel the permission to knock on their soul. So what I mean by that is I step out the door, nice guy, he comes, and he starts talking about pest control, and I'm like, Wife's super organic. It's not going to work out. No, we're organic. No, trust me. It's not going to work out, right? We have that, right? But I literally say, hey, you share your spiel. 
And I, I was very polite. It was very kind, very loving. I said, but after that, would you mind if I share with you something that really matters to me? He shares, and I share. And I share about love of Jesus Christ, and here's what I believe. And man, do you yourself, do you happen to have a faith? What does that look like in you? Here's what I'm saying. That may sound like a, wow, way to go. Literally, the entire time I'm thinking, I want this conversation over. The entire time I'm thinking, how long have I been here? I ended up staying there with that, that young man for 40 minutes. I, I can remember turning, walking back into the house, closing the door, and going, oh. He had a background in LDS, so, so Mormon faith. And we talked about how true doctrine, those are separate faiths. We talked about how who you view Jesus to be fundamentally matters for your eternity. And either I'm right now preaching an anti-gospel to that, or that is an anti-gospel. And in a kind way, separating the two, and then pleading with him to consider, as he did a phenomenal job, respectfully and graciously pleading with me. Every time it was, I want to go inside. Why? I had chosen many things over what could have been a great thing. Now, I gave that my best energy, but do you see what I'm saying? I think that's so many times our life. Like, we go nonstop, and then we come, and family gets the leftovers. Your marriage gets the leftovers. Your community group, your relationship with God, one thing is necessary. Mary chose the good portion. I frequently choose the wrong thing. The next thing, you have a problem with busyness if... Second one, you don't realize that our activity often covers up our anxiety. Our activity often covers up our anxiety. You see this in Martha. You see she goes, and what does she do? He cuts to the court and he says, no, no, you're anxious, you're troubled. You ever had the moment where you're worried, where you're anxious, but immediately you're like, I'm going to do something else. And you stuff that feeling you ever had the moment where all of a sudden you're working for, for at night for the day before, but you're really doing it out of anxiety? You're doing it out of insecurity? Your heart's not even to work heartily for the Lord. It's not even to pursue excellence. It's because what would my peers think? What would they think of me? What would they think? And it's this fueled anxiety that we come and we take this anxiety and we just cover it up with a life of activity and distraction. That's why so many of us guys, when COVID slowed down, all of a sudden you saw the cracks in your marriage. You saw the cracks in the relationship with your roommate. You saw the cracks in the relationship with your kids or between your siblings or your family. Why? Because before, you could cover that up with activity and distraction. You have a problem with busyness if activity often covers up anxiety. What's the third thing? You have a problem with busyness if you don't realize you can't do it all you can't do it all, yet you still try. This is a really convicting one for me because there's this sense of, I know I can't do it all. You know you can't do it all, yet you absolutely try to do way too much. This starts in like high school where if you want to go to college, you got to have this much social service. You got to have this much grade. You got to go serve here, lead here, do this, have this well-rounded thing, get this grade on the SAT. And it creates this performance-driven do more. Eventually, you come to realize, all right, I can't do it all. But don't we still try? I love that even in here, Jesus plays on the language when he's talking with Martha. He says, you're troubled by many things. And then he switches it, but one thing is necessary. 
Do you see how we can't do it all? There's the many things and the one thing. Oftentimes, folks will ask me, well, how much should I fill my schedule? How much should I do it? I'm going to start changing my answer. I'm going to start changing it and saying, and turning this and saying, you can do as many things until you start to neglect the one thing. Wait, 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 but I have three kids. What if one kid wants to go soccer, baseball, gymnastics, their community group, my community group, we serve in the community, I'm, I'm on a board, and I'm a glorified taxi. I have this friend group. If I don't see them, then I'll feel like I'm missing out. And the next day I go hang out with this friend group. And if I don't see them, then I'll feel like I'm missing out. You can have kids. You can not have kids. You can be single. We're overdoing it. You can't do it all. Yet we still try. Guys, I'm trying to show you what do we neglect? The one necessary thing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Listening to. Learning from. Falling in love with. It's the good portion. It is the better life. Final principle that I think if you have a problem with this, it shows busyness is likely an issue in your life, is it showing busyness is an issue in mine. You don't realize you have a choice. You have a choice. Dude, this one was so convicting. Right at the end of the passage, Jesus says of Mary, Mary has chosen the good portion. They both had a choice. One chose devotion, the other chose distraction. Here's why I think that matters. So many times, and and this is, I think our lives, we feel a victim to the schedule. We feel a victim to the stage of parenting that we are in. We feel a victim to the culture of the job or how the other moms do it and everything they're able to accomplish. We feel a victim to, well, I have to do this in order to keep up with my friends. And if they go, then I won't be able to go. And we feel like, we, we know we have a choice, but we don't live like we have a choice. You and I have a choice. Oftentimes that choice is exercised when we say two letters, no. Or, I mean, maybe no thank you, right? We're Christians, be nice, you know? But it comes with this sense of you really could choose to switch jobs to find a culture that doesn't pat you on the back because you consistently work over 65 hours. You really could choose to stop following moms online through social media that seem like constant super mom, but it's just not a reality and it always makes you feel bad that you're not doing enough. You really could choose to uh, work less, go home. You really could choose to, even as you pull up in the driveway, to get five minutes and right there say, God, would you help me to be present? You could choose to do less so that you can become more. See, that equation, I I so wrong get that in my life. What I mean by that is I think do more, do more, do more. I had a staff member on our team make fun of me this week as I was talking about this because I don't know if you guys can see it. This has been my iPad background for like four years. I don't know if you can see that at home. It literally just says do more because she talked to me in my life once about, John, there's like, I, I know we're doing stuff and that's great, but man, there's this like frantic energy to you. And she says, yeah, like, let, let me prove it. I'll just show you an example. Like, look at that. I think that like drives you and that stresses you out. And I remember thinking at the time, no, it doesn't. 
that's ridiculous. And then you start to tell yourself, well, I could do this. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm just high capacity and I'm different, you have a problem with busyness. And it wasn't until this week I sat here and I thought about my own life, about so many of our lives, as we strive to do more. What happens? We become less. Busyness often cripples faithfulness. You have a choice. You don't have to be a slave to the schedule. You don't have to settle for a mediocre relationship with Jesus. So how do we do this, guys? Practically, what, what does this look like? I think there's going to be future talks, even as I journey this in my own life. I think we're going to tackle technology. I think we're going to tackle time management. I think we're going to tackle schedules. I think we're going to talk about the difference between um, faithfulness and excellence and ambition and drive. I think all that's coming for the future. But here's the thoughts for just for today. This absolutely just reinforces in my mind a daily time of study. And what should you do? Be quiet. Silence and solitude, and study. What I say to that, though, there are seasons to life. Like right now, my wife and I, we're trying to read and connect together, but it's as kids are coming in and out, and we do our best. There's seasons to life, but our problem is, is we allow seasons to become permanent when we have a choice. But your rhythm of connecting with God, being quiet before Him and listening, study, silence, solitude, The next one I think that really matters is Sabbath. Like Sabbath is when you set aside time, and and we should teach, we have twice, but we should do it again. Just how Sabbath, yes, it's this faith in Christ. You enter into him, but it's this practice of honoring God by setting aside time where you are not productive. You rest. Many of you, the last time you were bored was 2007. Because 2007 was when the iPhone came out. It's true, man. Like the, even this author of the book, he gave this reference, like, you might have a problem if. I read this, I was like, I got problems, right? You go to the grocery store, and you go to the grocery store, they have all those checkout lines right there, and immediately, what are you doing? You're like, okay, where's the shortest line? He said, now just imagine if you went and you found the longest line. You got in the end, and then you show up, and you're not allowed to touch your phone. Like, that's exactly how I felt. In my mind, I'm like, I could be learning, I could be researching, I could be studying, I could be catching up on a phone call that I missed. It's just so unproductive. And so I was like, all right, yeah, I might have a problem. We don't even, like, come to a complete stop at stop signs. We just, like, roll straight through that. Church, believer, busyness often cripples faithfulness. The final way I think you can apply this, besides just silence, solitude, studying, besides Sabbath, I really do think that as things um, reopen in the economy, as you can go and open up uh, everything from school uh, to uh, activities to sports to seeing friends to going out to the concerts to whatever, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And you might need to say no to some things that you used to say yes to. It's completely varied based on family or individual. But you need to listen to that rhythm because what's the priority? The good portion. I'll close with this. I first got turned onto this topic, really, uh, in my own life through COVID, thinking about busyness and how it impacted me. I was talking with the, the trustees, the other men who helped me lead the springs here. 
was sharing it with them. And one of them, he told me about a member of ours named Shannon. He talked about a guy named Shannon. And Shannon had actually discovered that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And by reading that, as as he's telling me, there'd been this transformative impact in his life. I didn't think twice about it for like three weeks. I came to this topic and I knew busyness and I really started studying. I started looking at this passage and it made me pick up the phone and call him and say, hey man, I think God wants to work me over on this topic. I think God wants to work us over on this topic. How has he done this with you? It was fascinating getting to listen to to talk to Shannon because Shannon is just like so many of us. He like prided himself on the sense of doing more. He like took value in the same way culture says, how are you doing? Great, just busy. Took value in, I can do this and this and this and this. No, no, you don't have to, right? But I'm better than you, right? That sense, we all take value from that, that idolatry. He tried to do that with his family. I can do more activities, more things. He tried to do that in the way he thought about the community. I could serve on more boards, do this, do that. He tried to do that in his own work life. Hey, because he's a physician, I can have more billable hours than anyone else. I can see more patients than anyone else. What was happening to him is he was striving to do more. He realized he had become less. True of you, true of me. He starts thinking about it and the Holy Spirit starts working in his life and he realizes this is costing me. I'm missing the one good thing. He starts to take a shift of realizing, wait, my identity was there and I need to change that. He starts to first prioritize, how do I connect and spend time with God so that I can grow to be spiritually connected and emotionally healthy, physically. You can even see since this happened how he's physically gotten healthier. Started looking at his family life. How can I prioritize? What would that look like? It shifted though, because if you really want to do this, if I really want to do this, you have a choice, but it's going to come with a cost. You'll have to say no to things, and that will hurt. For him, he had this privilege, and this privilege enabled for everyone. He was able to work four out of five days, not five. Why? So he could take one day and really, even though he'd understood the idea of it for the first time in his life, create a rhythm of Sabbath. What does that do to him? Impacts his identity? How do other people view him? Impacts him financially. Is it worth it? One thing is necessary. What would you cut in order to fall more in love with Jesus? Even if you can't cut the job, what could you cut? He's worth it. He's worth it. He's focusing and spending time with family. He's trying to say no to things. And he'd be the first one to say he's a complete work in progress. But as I'm talking to him, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I should do stuff like that. And it's scary. But you know what's worth it? Sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to, learning from, falling in love with. Busyness often cripples faithfulness. God in heaven loves you. He wants you to get to know him. He wants to use you to change the city, the family, wherever you are. Slow down. This is a lesson worth learning. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it does in my life and the lives of all of us. God, I'd ask that you would help me to slow down, to still do a tremendous amount, to still work heartily as for the Lord. 
but to slow down, to repent of the nervous energy. I want to, to be more, even if that means doing less. I pray that's true of every person here, whether they believe in you or they don't. May those who don't know you, may they, may they do less to actually wrestle with you. And when we do less and the anxiety begins to creep up that we've masked, that we've hidden, may we press in to you to solve it. You're worth it. May we live as that is true. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Hey, everybody watching at home, gathering with us online, those of you guys here, thank y'all for coming and worshiping with us. Y'all go, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.